From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 265 of the Disney Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Luella Lariola. Luella, welcome back, and how are you? Hi everyone. I'm good. I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm fresh off my uh Comic-Con uh trip and back home, but it's super duper hot. I don't know where you're at, but it's it's hot uh, where I'm at. <laughs> we're we're down to 100 degrees. Oh. But it was funny because it was in like the upper 90. When I was talking to my, I talked to my daughter once a week. We we're talking Sunday evening. And 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 she does not like the weather where she grew up in and neither does my son either, but you know, I didn't like the weather I grew up in, in San Francisco. So I oh. grew up in a cool, it was, it seemed like it was always foggy and mm-hmm. cause we lived, you know, off the um, golden gate. Yes. And so I, I love the hot weather. Uh, they growing up in warm weather, although it gets cold here, we both fall below freezing routinely during the, during the winter, and it even it even snowed last winter. Oh, wow. um, but they love cool climates, and so uh, so my son lives in Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania. My daughter lives in Monterey. She loves the ocean, the sea. She always called yes. it the sea when she was little. <laughs> so when I was telling, I was asking her how's the weather there, and I and she asked about here, and I said, "Oh, we've cooled down to ninety six. <laughs> oh gosh, yes. <laughs> Well, I, then I shouldn't complain. It's a little bit cooler. I mean, it, we're at 90s, 91, um, but that's not typical. I, I guess in the summer it is, but I'm I'm a cool like 70s, 75 person. Uh, in San Diego, where Comic-Con is, uh, it's about 10 degrees cooler because it's right by the water. So they had beautiful weather, but it was still hot. So um, definitely is summer. Uh, and so, but, um, you know, so you just have to always drink your water and kind of get uh, some shade because it can get bad. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. The Walt Disney Family Museum recently opened a new exhibition about Disney cats and dogs. Joining me to talk about this delightful exhibit are Chris Mullen and Brie Bertolaccini. I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> yeah. uh, listeners know I am notorious for massacring names. So Chris Mullen is the senior marketing executive, well, senior marketing communications coordinator. He's a storyteller, tour guide, and the co-host of the Walt Disney Family Museum podcast at the Walt Disney Family Museum. Chris started the museum in 2014 as a guest experience associate, giving tours and spotlight talks based on a variety of periods in Walt Disney's life and began contributing to the museum blog in 2016. As part of the guest experience team, he helped to open and welcome guests to several special exhibitions in the Diane Disney Miller Exhibition Hall, including All Aboard, 
A Celebration of Alt's Trains, Wish Upon a Star, The Art of Pinocchio, Awaking Beauty, The Art of Ivan Earl, and Walt Disney's Nine Old Men, Masters of Animation. As part of the marketing team, Chris has co-moderated a Q&A with Disney legend Bob Gurr, hosted tours of virtual community art exhibition openings, and presented a virtual talk about the history of Disneyland in honor of the park's 65th anniversary. He currently coordinates the museum's website, the calendar, social media, subscriber newsletters, copy editing and writing, and other content creations. He is very busy. Okay. Brie Bertolaccini is the marketing manager at the Walt Disney Family Museum, managing social media, research, and content creation for the museum's podcasts, blog, and other outlets. Brie co-founded and serves as lead researcher, producer, and co-host for the podcast Walt Disney or WD-FM, the official Walt Disney Family Podcast. In 2020, she also co-hosted the museum's virtual program series, Happily Ever After Hours, which I can't tell you how helpful that was getting us through the pandemic. <laughs> she regularly contributes to the research and copywriting for the museum's original special exhibitions, including the Walt Disney Studios and World War II, and Walt Disney's The Jungle Book, Making of a Masterpiece. Bree started the museum in 2014 as a volunteer, then transitioned to an intern for the Marketing Communications Department. During her time as an intern, she transcribed 24 hours of original audio from interviews that Walt Disney's family conducted with Pete Martin for the Saturday Evening Post in 1956. I'm very envious of that, <laughs> um, that project that you did. <laughs> Chris and Bree, welcome to Connecting with Walt. Thank Thanks you. For Thank us. you for having us. Oh, I'm delighted. Okay, since we're going to be start talking about Disney cats and dogs, we have to find out who is what are your well, who's your favorite Disney cat and who's your favorite Disney dogs. Bree, why don't we start with you? Yeah, so my favorite Disney cat would be Marie from the Aristocats. I think she's just an elegant uh, little kitty, and I just, you know, she's a romantic at heart, and I love that. And uh, it doesn't surprise me that she's the most popular character from the Aristocats, even though she isn't the main character. So I love that. Mm -hmm. What about Chris? What's your favorite Disney cat? Well, my favorite Disney cat is Figaro from Pinocchio. I, he just steals every single scene that he's in and is just so, so cute. And I've, I've had cats for uh, my whole life. So uh, that, that cat in particular, just to me speaks to what being a cat <laughs> is all about mm -hmm. in the real, the real world. Um, and he even became so popular. He started in a couple of extra shorts as Minnie Mouse's cat. So mm -hmm. his popularity continues to endure. Okay. Luella, how about you? Who is your favorite Disney cat? Um, I'm going to have to go with Cheshire Cat. I think uh, the colors are amazing. I love that pink and purple. Uh, he's uh, a little naughty there. <laughs> what I think a cat is. But uh, I, I find him so, whenever I see the character, it just makes me smile. So uh, I think Cheshire Cat gives me a lot of joy for some reason. <laughs> Mine, I have to agree with you, Chris. It's Figaro. He is my favorite. I love how his expressions and he's, and I also have had cats much of my life and he's 
mischievous but playful and affectionate. Uh, I loved him in the shorts with Minnie Mouse. My, I think my favorite is Pluto's sweater, where he gets Pluto in trouble and then thinks he's out. Uh, he's out of the way, and then, um, well, Pluto has his revenge. <laughs> so cute. Figaro is just perfect for characterization. There's just so many gestures and and reactions that Figaro gives that really translate well. And I love at Disneyland when you go into the Princess Fantasy Fair, they have Figaro up there sleeping on, on the windowsill. I think that was a wonderful touch. Cute there. So what about favorite Disney dogs? Um, Breathe, should we c- circle back to you on that? Sure. Yeah. The, my favorite Disney dog would have to be Lady from Lady and the Tramp. Honestly, it is mainly because of the Walt connection <laughs> of when Walt Disney presented, you know, the story of Walt Disney presenting his wife Lillian with a little puppy in a hat box and how that was the inspiration to put it in the movie Lady and the Tramp. I just love when you can kind of find those human moments with Walt. Um, so I'm more of like, that for the nerdy reason, but also lady is a wonderful character and I really love her character arc in the film. And she just is a wonderful little cocker spaniel. Mm -hmm. Okay. Chris. For me, I'm going to go a little bit more recent. Uh, My favorite Disney dog is probably Max from the little mermaid. Uh, He is just so energetic. Uh, If, if there's a thing as golden retriever energy, but in a sheep dog, he perfectly encapsulates that. And he's so smart. I mean, he knew that Vanessa was a fraud before anyone else. So Max really does it all. (laughs) Luella, how about you? I'm going to say Pluto. I love Pluto. I think he's playful. He's adorable. Uh, you can always visit Pluto. When my husband and I renewed our vows on the Disney cruise, we had Pluto there. So Cute. Uh, Pluto Aww. also reminds me of my kids. They're just so uh, adorable and cute. <laughs> you know, Pluto is also my favorite. I think because of all the Disney dogs, he is the most dog-like. Mm-hmm. He doesn't speak. But he, everything is communicated through his facial expressions and his body movements and language. And of course, this is a testament to the animators behind him. But I just love his expressions. That Probably the most famous one is when he gets caught with the flypaper. That yes. just yes. a brilliant, yeah, <laughs> brilliant yes. piece of animation just in this. Yeah, so, um, and absolutely. inspired Frank and Ollie, too. I mean, Pluto has just such a broad range of, of things that he's able to do. So he's always, always entertaining. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, now the origins of the Disney Cats and Dogs exhibition is a little different from many of the ones that we um, spoke about earlier that you both were involved in, because those had the creative origin from the Walt Disney Family Museum. The origin of this exhibit is a little different. Can you tell us the history of this exhibit and how it came to the Walt Disney Family Museum? Yeah, so this is the first traveling exhibition that we have had since our Maurice Sindak exhibition that was back in 2012. So it's been a while since we've had a traveling exhibition. This exhibition was originally presented in 2021 by the Walt Disney um, Animation Research Library and the Walt Disney Archives and Disney Japan at Matsuya Ginza, which is the historic Uh, department store in Tokyo. So the exhibition was kind of perfect for the museum to take on as a traveling exhibition um, because many of the films that were animated during Walt's lifetime are highlighted in this exhibition. So we were able to kind of add our own little touches to it, but made it a little nicer to have it 
Yeah. And if I can add on to that, it, it's also mm-hmm. a really unique exhibition in that it's entirely reproductions as opposed to artifacts and original artworks. Um, you know, the reason for that is many of the very delicate works that were sourced for the exhibition, such as original watercolor paintings that were, uh, sourced from as early as the 1930s are at risk of being damaged if removed from storage. And, uh, in a way, you know, we could also make this exhibition so interactive, uh, add a lot more interactive elements, make it more family friendly, um, and accessible. Uh, and that's been a really big mm-hmm. goal for ours at the museum. So just completely refocusing what an exhibition at the Walt Disney Family Museum can look like. Mm-hmm. And you know, with today's digital technology, the, the reproductions look like the real pieces of work, pieces of artwork and, storyboards and, you know, pencil drawings. So I don't think it takes away at all from the exhibition. So, and it does, it opens up more possibilities of what can be done within the galleries too. Like, and um, like the members um, preview we had, we actually could have it in the galleries, which is wonderful. So, and yeah, very and unique we can have experience. food and drinks in that environment. Um, we haven't been able to do that in the past. So it was kind of a fun environment to have our members preview in that way. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a different exhibition. It is a lot of it is sourced from the animation research library, which we haven't been able to borrow a ton from the animation research library. So the next best thing is getting the reproductions, um, cause they have just some of the most magnificent animation treasures. So it's mm-hmm. really cool that they were able to handpick some of these really important pieces of art to showcase the Disney cats and dogs. And there's some great pieces of artwork in there, but uh, now, and did you have to make any adaptations to the exhibit for an American audience? Yeah, definitely. We, we definitely still wanted to make it a Walt Disney family museum exhibition and you know, the ways that we could, um, when we got the text, it was all in Japanese. So we definitely had to translate that and make it uh, into English. And we expanded on a couple of different areas. Um, we expanded on the Walt section to kind of create. And, and we also created an entirely new section, which is when you first walk in, there's an introduction there. Um, and we kind of tried to um, expand on some of the, the other little areas. Um, I did an interview with Fox Carney from the Animation Research Library for our upcoming member magazine, a little plug for that. Um, and he noted that the audiences in Japan often tend to appreciate a more compact and tighter display with more imagery presented rather than text. And so the, that was why the amount of text initially was super minimal. So we, we worked on getting it expanded just enough to make it more suited to our audience and kind of add a little bit more of that historic knowledge in there that um, wasn't really needed for the Japanese audience. And we also added a lot more of Walt Disney quotes <laughs> um, throughout the exhibition to add that kind of Walt Disney Family Museum touch of using Walt Disney's own words. Mm-hmm. I, th- yeah, th- I think that was nice. And I love the fact that you do um, cover not just the favorite animated dogs and cats, but you have the real life animals in the life of Walt and his family. You chronicle those. There's some wonderful photos of Walt with with the with the family pets in there and the family. 
Yeah, definitely. That was like my little baby. I was really, really passionate about this section um, about Walt Disney and his pets during his life. And he did document it um, a lot in the Pete Martin interviews. So that is what we pulled a lot of that information from. I know we, you know, you mentioned it in the intro. Um, so we didn't have the space to kind of expand on every aspect of every dog in Walt Disney's life or cat. There's no mention of his one cat um, that we know of. He did own a Siamese cat. We have a wonderful mm-hmm. picture of him with his two daughters uh, reading a script and there's a little Siamese cat in his lap. Um, but I wanted to share one uh, kind of fun story that we had to cut for space. Um, and it's about Duchess or known as Dee Dee Disney, the Disney family standard poodle. Um, so both Diane and Walt actually told the story separately in the Pete Martin interview. Um, and so kind of hearing it from both of their perspectives was just really interesting. Um, and so Diane and Sharon kind of grew out of the daddy's day. Like we all kind of know that Walt would take his daughters to Griffith Park or different areas or even to the studio um, during the weekends. And so Walt actually turned to their dog, Dee Dee, for company. And while he was working on different projects in his barn at Carol Carolwood, he, uh, Dee Dee would often be there keeping him company and um, Walt said that there would be a certain hour and she would nudge Walt when it was time to go back to the house and meet with the family. And so, you know, Walt said of Dee Dee that she was a great companion for him. And, you know, when she passed away, Walt actually kept her blanket undisturbed in his workshop in the barn as just a comforting ode to his pal. And I just love that connection and just kind of mm-hmm. that sweet little story showcasing that he really had a companion in Dee Dee. That is nice. I, so do you think Lillian, you know, trained Dee Dee? at a certain time, (laughs) nudge him and get him home. (laughs) Either that or that was when Dee Dee was uh, ready for her dinner. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's probably more likely in there. Um, What do you believe are are the highlights of the exhibition? You'd mentioned there were some real treasures in there. So what what are some of the highlights for each of you? Well, what's I think a a really big highlight is that um, it highlights – the, the exhibition itself highlights films and characters that haven't gotten quite as big of a spotlight in the past and, you know, highlighting Disney cats and dogs, very popular characters, very accessible is a great way to show just how many animals in the Disney canon continue to live on today being influenced, you know, all the way back. You can go back to Pluto, uh, how they have all kind of come from those, those early uh, studio animals. Um, even highlighting some lesser known animals like Footstool from Beauty and the Beast is a great way to showcase the dog-like qualities that that, that character has. And also, you know, we talk about how um, animators use live action references. We have photographs of, of the animators, not just, you know, around cats and dogs, but with elephants and deer, uh, showing just how through the generations uh, animators have taken live action reference. Also, how you can uh, use a, an animal's features like their ears, their tail, their nose, uh, the way that they walk all to tell different things about the personality of the animal. Um, so there's just so much to learn in, in the different sections of the exhibition that I think people are going to be able to find something in it for them, depending on what character they, that speaks to them most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just love how there are just some characters represented that would probably never have a chance to be in an exhibition. Um, I mean, Chris mentioned Footstool from Beauty and the Beast. I know everyone was like, really? This one? Um, <laughs> it's a it's a fun little deep cut uh, of a character and even um, Mochi from Big Hero 6. Like there's just some of these smaller characters that being featured in this exhibition, I think are really cool. And to see some of the animation artwork from 
from these lesser known characters is really a, a great highlight for this exhibition. You know, for me, I think the highlight is uh, the first thing you see when you walk in. It, there's a wonderful film about where, where it looks like Lady is taking us to the museum and taking us on a tour as Walt describes. In his, it's in his own words. He talks about the significance of animals in his life and about and in the films. It, it's a really terrific little film. I have a little and, uh, cameo in that. Yeah, little, little <laughs> Easter egg. Someone on this call is actually has a starring role in that little featurette that plays in the exhibition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but all of that audio, again, I'm always going to talk about Pete Martin, the Pete Martin interviews. It's a really big asset um, that the Walt Disney Family Museum, Museum owns. Um, and so all of the audio that you hear in that um, in that little movie is from uh, the Pete Martin interviews. So it's I really love that little special and having that little dog go through the um, through our exhibition, kind of a fun little fact, because uh, we never really got a chance to talk about it at, at any time, because um, that little film came out so many years ago. Um, but that little dog, she was a like an award-winning Westminster dog and had never learned to bark. And so it was such a process. We had these professional dog trainers teaching her how to bark. And she had the funniest little, uh, little barks that she would put out. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's very fun. <laughs> Well, that's wonderful. Well, let's take a quick look at what's on display for just a few of the Disney Cats and Dogs in the Exhibition and maybe highlight some of the things that we'll may see or learn about them. Well, for Luella and myself, Pluto is, um, is a favorite. He is, he's really, uh, he has a very excellent, you know, um, part of the exhibition. Oh, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We go into his development by Disney legend Norm Ferguson. Talk about his debut in the Chain Gang in 1930. Um, how his role changed from being this unnamed hound to the Pluto that we know today. His various award-winning short films that he was in. Um, we really get kind of a survey of Pluto as being kind of the blueprint. Definitely. And I think probably this film's favorite with a lot of people listening. And Brie, you brought it up, uh, Lady and the Tramp. Yes, Lady and the Tramp. And kind of has a a couple of favorite firsts. It's Disney's first CinemaScope feature, um, the first Disney feature film based on a mostly original story. We actually, in our collection, have Walt Disney's hand-drawn script notes for what he kind of envisioned for Lady and the Tramp that kind of incorporated into the text a little bit. Um, we have, you know, Peggy the performer, um, Peg the Pekingese, uh, voiced by jazz singer Peggy Lee. And she participated in writing and performing the notable songs in the film, including La La Lou and He's a Tramp, as well as helping write Bella Dote. So I always love kind of um, Peggy Lee's involvement. And uh, Chris loves to tell the story of how Frank Thomas got um, got the Bella Note scene. I don't know if you want to... Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and we, we play this clip in the galleries, but you have to kind of hunt for it in one of the interactives, uh, in gallery seven a, uh, but, uh, originally the iconic spaghetti scene in lady and the tramp was actually cut during the storyboard process. Walt just for whatever reason felt like it didn't fit tonally with the film that maybe it, it took kind of a sidestep away from the story. Uh, but Frank Thomas really believed in it and, uh, he really, he rescued it from the trash. 
uh, and, and really believed in the potential of the scene to depict the, the real sincerity and innocence uh, of the scene without being excessively sentimental. And uh, one of my favorite parts of that whole story is, you know, it's, it has now become such a huge scene. And uh, Walt, who was very stingy with his praise, uh, reportedly went up to Frank Thomas and said, nothing but I hear you've got the best scene in the picture. And that's it. Just that, that was all, that was all that he said. But Frank Thomas knew that that was probably the best compliment he would get in his career at the Disney studios. <laughs> yeah. And it's so rare that, you know, somebody would after walk cut something that they would pursue it because, you know, they always deferred to Walt because he was such a story man and that, you know, Frank worked on it after hours. So it didn't take away from his regular, you know, output. And, uh, and you're right, from Walt, that's a wonderful compliment. And, and, it, yeah. and it's sort of Walt admitting, you know, I was wrong in a roundabout little way. <laughs> yeah, it, there, there have been some stories yeah. where Walt's recognized that he was wrong. There was the famous dust up with Roy over whether they should go with Cinderella or Alice in Wonderland. Eventually, Roy won out with Cinderella, which was the right move from a box office perspective going mm-hmm. into the 1950s. So there, there are certainly some very key examples of Walt. Uh, ad- admitting maybe reluctantly uh, that he was wrong about a particular inkling that he had, uh, an intuition he had about a certain project. But uh, you're right, more often than not, they they wanted to defer to Walt as who they believed to be the best story man at the studio. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Another favorite with maybe one of the best villains ever is 101 Dalmatians. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's really kind of the the first like modern feature film that Disney did, you know, spending so much time in the fairy tale realm to have all these bold colors, angular shapes, and it's very modernist artistic flair. It's so stylistically unique. And it also introduced the Xerox process to animation, which saved them a ton of money, saved them a ton of time on production uh, given to us. Uh, by our good friend, Disney legend of Iworks, who mm-hmm. seems to have his handprints everywhere in uh, Disney history, paw especially prints. during Walt's we're, life. Paw prints. We're using yes. paw prints now, yeah. <laughs> yes. From being the, the hand of Mickey Mouse to helping develop a multiplane camera to, uh, you know, bringing the Xerox process to animation and then further camera projects for, uh, for the studio, you know, his, uh, impact can't be understated. And and here, even though Walt uh, had his misgivings about the style going away from the softer edges of, of films like Sleeping Beauty to the very sharp uh, and kind of, you know, being able to see the scratchiness of the animator's drawings in, in the films of the 60s, um, it, it definitely uh, was was a real big economic piece of uh, mm-hmm. of that film and and of Disney animation going forward. Oh, absolutely. Well, just as Cinderella saved the studio back in 1950, 101 Dalmatians saved animation because Walt was mm-hmm. thinking of shutting it down at that point because it had gotten too expensive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and somehow so they picked a picked a film that was Dalmatians featured, you know, the very spotty designs where each dog had their own unique design pattern. And I, you know, I've heard the stories from really crump how, you know, he, that was kind of an early job for him animating is getting the spots, right. Um, that had to be kind of a grueling work for these animators to, yeah, yeah. I mean, Pongo in particular has 72 spots and Verdita has 68, you know, it's like these, there's a lot going on. It's, it's very spotted history. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, Rolly Crump was very happy when he got rescued from that <laughs> <Yeah>. project. <laughs> so, another fan favorite. This is also my daughter's favorite film, The Aristocats. Yeah, it's one of those yeah. films. That it, it came out after Walt Disney had passed away in 1966, but the development had happened several years prior. And, um, you know, it has the Sherman Brothers touch, which I love. Who could, you know, the music of that film, I think, is definitely the most memorable. Um, the scale and um, arpeggios. I always want to, like, sing it like they do. Um, <laughs> but I'm not a singer. But I just love the kittens uh, and how they have kind of the French influence on their names. You know, Marie, inspired by Marie Antoinette. Um, and Toulouse, inspired by um, Painter. You know, I've always tried to say all of these names in French, and my French is horrible. But um, there's a painter, Henry uh, de Toulouse-Lautrec, um, and you you know, Berlioz. I, you know, I'm trying <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with the composer, Hector Berlioz. So, you know, and then just how kind of the legendary voice actors were kind of making themselves, they were starting to reappear in these Disney films. So, you know, you get... Phil Harris, who was in Baloo for The Jungle Book, um, voiced Thomas O'Malley in this film. So it's kind of starting that little bit of a legacy with these voice actors um, after, you know, kind of the big film of The Jungle Book that introduced some of these kind of more celebrity voice actors. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, yes, uh, was, is it it's Shaja Gabor? Is it Ava Gabor? I yes. get them confused uh, which one Shaja? it is. It's, I think it's Shaja. Yeah. Right? I think it is. Good mm-hmm. question. Who's, in it, who's uh, the, the the lady who owns the the cats? Now, one I have several pieces, oh, and of course, um, Marie Chevalier came out of retirement to sing the song for oh, that yes. film at Walt's yeah. invitation. Yeah. So, but I, I have some several pieces of original Disney art, and one of them that I have is a pencil sketch of Marie. Oh from, wow! From the film, and they who- were creating her. Do you, you know, know it, it was it? it was a gift to me where somebody went to an estate sale and it turned out it was of a Disney animator who had passed. And so they the family was selling a lot of his artwork. So they purchased Marie for me because I had I had adopted two of their cats because they couldn't care Aww. for them. So they gave me the uh, Marie pencil sketch. Oh, that's so. huge. That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. It was Ava Gabor. By the way. Ava, thank Ava. you. It was Ava. Okay. So, and then uh, our favorite, um, Figaro, is is well profiled. Yeah, just love love Figaro. Uh, of course, uh, debuting in Pinocchio, nineteen forty, and uh, just being in a handful of scenes in the film, but just off the strength of that, uh, continuing to reappear. Um, you can't can't say enough about how cute little Figaro's, especially when Figaro's like sliding into bed and then his little feet pop out of the end. It's just mm-hmm. in- incredible scene. <laughs> yeah. And his relationship with Cleo, a goldfish, you wouldn't think he would have a, a good relationship with a fish. Yeah. They, they liked to do that too. It's, it's like uh Dumbo and Timothy Q mouse, you know, with the old <laughs> urban legend that, that elephants are scared of mice, these unlikely friends bonded together. Um, that, that you would think would be adversaries. Yeah. And we see that, you're right. We see that in a lot of Disney films too, like Oliver and company where dogs mm-hmm. and cats are friends. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then Luella's favorite Cheshire cat is in there too. What can you yes. tell us about that part of the exhibit? 
Yeah, it has a wonderful big display. I just love all of the big, bold artwork that we're able to have throughout the exhibition. But the one with the Cheshire cat always draws me in. <laughs> and, and like Luella said, you know, the striped pink and purple design, it's just like the very characteristic grin and um, and how he can kind of manipulate his facial features and stripes. It's just so fun and whimsy. And it's no surprise that, of course, it was primarily animated by the ever whimsy Ward Kimball, um, who also animated uh, Lucifer, um, which is also represented in the exhibition as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, the Cheshire Cat is just a really fun addition. And we talk about him all day. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> and I like and, how disappears and then reappears and with just his smile yeah (laughs) smile yeah Yeah, he's one of the few that had the few cat or dogs represented that have magical powers oh that's (laughs) if that that counts i mean i mean reappearing and disappearing i you know i feel like it has a magical yeah i i think so i think absolutely and what's nice in and of course there's way more cats and dogs represented Mm -hmm. And so we just wanted to give folks a taste. But what's also wonderful, I really enjoyed, was you, there's so much concept art in there and the background paintings where you just get lost in looking at those because they are so beautiful. And then it's interesting to see then how the, the animators translated it into um, the films themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you look at, you know, some of the the illustrations for like an Alice in Wonderland, if you're looking at the Cheshire cat that, you know, what, what design do you really take inspiration from? What direction do you want to go with it? It's, it's kind of, it's what, you know, Andreas Dejia talks about with how much he loves rough animation drawings, because you can really see the thought process Mm -hmm. and how they were crafting these characters. That's what I think is so cool about seeing these very iconic characters that we're, we're used to seeing them exactly as they appear in the film, but seeing them in an earlier stage and thinking about, you know, what did Walt say? What did the supervising animators say that, you know, they had to shape the character this way or that way to make it more appealing, to go more towards serving the story in some way. Um, you know, it's, it's really, really fascinating to see from the very beginning to the very end of mm-hmm. the character that we already recognize. Yeah. And that's in several of the exhibits where you see the early renditions of Cheshire Cat, which looks nothing like what we see on the screen. Same thing with Bolt in your section on Bolt. We see the various ways the dog was, the puppy was transformed uh, into the bolt we see on the screen now. So um, now you had mentioned that uh, there are several interactive experiences that children, where children and adults can express their creativity. So you can, and that's what I like about this exhibit because this is accessible to children of all ages. You can bring your three-year-old or two-year-old to this exhibit, and not only will they enjoy looking at characters they've seen on Disney Plus or something, but they can actually get involved in making their own artwork. So can you tell us a little about um, how those were created? Yeah, definitely. It is something we do hear a lot about the Walt Disney Family Museum when visitors come that, you know, it isn't the most family friendly. It doesn't, uh, you know, kids of all ages won't exactly, you know, we are a museum at the end of the day. And so, you know, sometimes we get the feedback that, you know, my younger kids didn't have a lot of fun. So being able to have the opportunity for our public programs and our studio teams to kind of collaborate and create these really engaging and very interactive um 
little interactives in the museum or in this exhibition space is just like really interesting for us. And so we have um, our public programs team developed a, a an exclusive activity sheet that's designed by the Disney artists and Shen and Jared Mariuma on how to draw a cat and a dog. So kind of pulling in some other um, artists and collaborators for this is really cool. And then our, our studio team. Right here. Oh yeah. <laughs> there you go. I have those right here as it turns out. <laughs> and then our, our studio team uh, put together some stations uh, where you can create a sheet to insert into a zoetrope or that you could create your own thaumatrope, both, you know, 19th century early animation devices that predate film, uh, that you're able to animate your own drawings of cats and dogs. We have uh, coloring stations of uh, pets of San Francisco. Uh, we have a little reading corner on the top floor. There's just so many ways that you can interact with Disney cats and dogs that in other exhibitions we're not able to do because we have to spend, we have to have so much space for hanging artifacts and keeping people safe distances uh, away from the artwork uh, that we're really able to open up our space like we haven't been able to do before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, my, my- Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that all of our um, all of our activities and resources are actually available online. So if you like Luelle, if you haven't been able to visit the museum or the exhibition just yet, you can kind of access all of those um, activity sheets on our website. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful way to bring the kids in and having them learn to appreciate how difficult it was to do animation. I mean, nowadays they can just do things on their iPad, but back then um, it really was manual. And so when they try to do it themselves and they look at the what you're displaying, I think they'll get a greater appreciation for that. And um, also have them get an, let them have a lot of fun in a museum space. Cause true, like you said, at the end of the day, it's a museum. Um, and sometimes you have to reach a certain age to appreciate what's being displayed at a museum, but that can help guide them to learn appreciation of what mm-hmm. you're showing there. And I also think, especially with those interactive um, experiences, it opens up a dialogue with parents where parents can interact with their child in creating this artwork and also interact with the child about why they love this, you know, this Disney cat or dog that's on display and they can talk about it. So that's why I think this is a very family friendly um, exhibition for that reason. And we, but one of my favorites is the photo opportunity (laughs) that you have. I love that. It is so clever. Can you tell our, our listeners what that is? Chris, do you um, want to go? I'll go. Okay. Um, yeah, the it's a really cute opportunity that, you know, with Lady and the Tramp and guests can actually sit at a tablecloth table and it has candles and there's fake spaghetti where you can create your very own Bella Notes. So we've gotten lots of um, great photos sent over to us, you know, two people sitting with the fake spaghetti in each other's mouths. Mm-hmm. It's just so precious. And we do have a little trash can nearby for the fake spaghetti when you're done with it. It doesn't go back on the table for the next person to, yeah. Yeah, to, to have. There's a, there's a little container with the fresh spaghetti. And then right <laughs> under it is the little trash can for the used spaghetti. It is so clever. And then something great that people can pose with, again, with families and, and, t- and save it as a souvenir, basically. We have a lot of guests that love posters, Disney posters, whether it's of the parks 
or films, they decorate their house with them. Fans of film posters are going to really enjoy this exhibit as well because you have movie posters from all kinds of films that have dogs and cats in them. Yeah, the the if you can sense a theme of all of the uh, movie posters that are throughout our our lobbies on both floors and our stairwell, it's that all of those films are featured within the exhibition and have their own sections. So if you have a particular favorite film with a favorite cat or dog, you can also pose in front of a a, a large print of that movie poster as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. So now if you had space to add another Disney dog or cat, which ones would you add? That is, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> it is like, it's unbelievable how many cats and dogs are in the Disney canon. I mean, you're not even talking about Pixar dogs either mm-hmm. or Pixar cats and dogs. Um, but there's a lot of early and kind of dog and cat representation, like Julius the cat and um, Uncle Robert's dog, Peg or Peggy from the Alice comedies that I'm just, I love kind of exploring. I would have loved to be able to explore that a little bit more. Um, and even just exploring just like one of the earliest Disney villains, Pete. Um, he's, you know, big gruff cat-like character. I, I think he's, he's represented as a cat. Um, so those are like being able to pull from Steamboat Willie or the Alice comedies would have been really interesting, but those don't really have a huge general appeal. <laughs> so I understand why they were not included. Um, but I guess more of a modern one. We get this a lot on social media since we've been posting about. Um, this exhibition that everyone wants wishes that we could have included stitch. And I agree. I think that would have been a great addition. Most people hmm. do kind of think of him as a dog. So, Oh really? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't really <laughs> thought about it, but I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I could get, I get it <laughs> for me. Um, I've got to, uh, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say probably cause Lilo, you know, kind of has him as a dog, but as yeah. being an ultimate stitch fan, um, I can understand why stitch isn't there. And yeah. I love stitch. So. <laughs> True. Well, uh, they, they signed the adoption papers. So according to the state of Hawaii in the Lilo and Stitch universe, uh, Stitch is a dog. Yes. So, oh, I didn't remember that. On a technicality. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, for me, obviously, we, we would love to have a you know fox and the hound if we had enough space. Oh, um, mm-hmm. And then I, I have kind of a half serious answer. Um, when we were doing our countdown on our uh, on our podcast about our favorite cats and dogs, we got to our, our honorable mentions round. And uh, for I'm personally for our next cats and dogs exhibition, I'm personally crusading to expand the definition to add characters like Old Yeller from the live action films. Nobody uh, wants Do- to cry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doctor Doppler from uh, Treasure Planet, who is dog, but in kind of a human alien form, well, sort of like uh, Goofy is a dog, yeah. but it's sort of a human version of the dog well we're, we're not allowed to say that we're not allowed to say that goofy's a dog so <laughs> oh he used to be called dippy dogs <laughs> but he, he did know, d-a-w-g so it's not, yeah. not uh-huh. the good old d-o-g <laughs> we we'll, we'll get in trouble if we say that goofy's a oh, dog <laughs> okay <laughs> and then of course who can forget yzma as a cat uh, very briefly at the end of emperor's mm, new groove that's true. so that's that's personally on my next cats and dogs exhibition. <laughs> yeah. My honorable mention, besides Fox and the Hound, my first cat I named Todd after no. the fox and, and Fox and the Hound. But is a, in a couple of the Pluto shorts, he had a little girlfriend, this little dog. Called, I think was her name Fifi or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I thought, you know, and it, it sort of brought out more of a, I don't know, maternal, fraternal instinct in him 
And he got in a few jealous spats over her as well. <laughs> so I thought that's my honorable mention, I think, for her as well. So now, how long will the Disney Dogs and Cats exhibition be at the museum? And how can our listeners obtain tickets? Yeah, well, our exhibition is currently scheduled to be open through Sunday, January 14th, 2024, which is also my birthday. Oh, uh, and you can birthday. reserve your tickets. Thank you. Uh, just, just, you know, I, I'm about my half birthday. So it's definitely my unbirthday today. <laughs> um, you, you, you or uh, anybody else listening can reserve your tickets ahead of time by visiting our website, waltdisney.org slash ticks, which is T-I-X and not T-I-C-K-S. That would be afflicting a character like Pluto in a very mm-hmm. funny short. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great. Good. Looking f- so there's plenty of time for folks to make plans to head out to the museum and um see this wonderful exhibition. Are there any special talks or activities happening this summer at the museum and maybe even in the fall that you'd like to tell us about? Yeah, we have quite a few coming up. One at the end of this month, July 30th, we have a pet adoption day with Muttville Senior Dog Rescue. So we'll have the dogs out on the front lawn where guests can kind of hopefully pick out uh, and adopt one of those wonderful senior dogs. Um, we have an upcoming program with composer Fabrizio Mancinelli in August um, talking about That's the music on my of birthday. the Silly Symphonies. Oh, yay. <laughs> yes. well, that's, that's Happy unbirthday to you. I've heard him speak before. He is fantastic. And so, yeah, folks, if you can hear him talk about the music and the silly symphonies, that that will be a really special talk. Yeah, just hearing from a composer from his point of view. He's just so passionate. And um, he recently worked on the new Andreas Deja uh, short film, Mushka. So, you know, I'm sure he'll add a little bit of that, but very, very interesting. And, you know, the following week, we actually have a special program. It's a dog's life with Disney legend, Bill Farmer, who voices Pluto and Goofy. I mean, the ultimate, um, wow, Disney that's dog. the ultimate, I, the ultimate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that'll be fun. And they're actually partnering up with guide dogs for the blind. And so they'll be having, um, some wonderful guide dogs, uh, very highly trained service dogs, um, in the museum. So I love dogs with a job. So <laughs> that one will be a lot of fun. And, uh, throughout the rest of the exhibitions, um, run, we will have themed film screenings. So in August, we are screening Oliver and Company in our Fantasia themed theater. So you can kind of look out each month for, um, a different cat or dog themed film that we're, we'll have on, mm-hmm. have been screened. Yeah, and it's fun to see them on a larger screen, because I know for generations, they've only seen them on their television. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to see that. Now, will you also be showing that short on on Walt Disney's Dogs? I know you played it at like on at the preview day. Will that also yeah. be playing before the films? I'm not sure. I don't think yeah, so. I'm not we sure. could, okay. That's a good idea. We could definitely do it. Um, you can also find that short. It is that small. Um, it's actually a special feature on Lady and the Tramp. You can find it on Disney Plus under their special feature um, little tab as well. Mm-hmm. So it's at least oh, available okay. to watch elsewhere. But we'll we'll definitely look into playing it before the films. It's a great yeah. idea. Well, that's a good idea because then people can see what a little of what the museum looks like if you haven't had a chance to go. Yeah, it's a great little tour. It is. It is. So, oh, and can you tell us a little about, you know, what else is on the website? How can people become members of the museum? 
you know, things like that. What are some of the benefits of being a member? Sure. Well, uh, on our website, WaltDisney.org, uh, we have a full members portal, uh, WaltDisney.org slash members, uh, which when you become a member, uh, unlocks all kinds of digital exclusives, uh, past virtual programs that we have recordings of, past issues of the member magazine that have been digitized, uh, that you can see at any time. But being a member, in addition to supporting the museum and supporting the museum's educational initiatives, uh, to further teach, uh, animation and animation related art to, uh, the next generation of artists and animators. Um, it also, uh, helps continue to put on these great public programs, like what, what Bree was talking about, our, our monthly film screenings, our talks with special guests, uh, touching on films that are either from Walt's life, projects from Walt's life, uh, or featuring, uh, artists, uh, imagineers, um, people that worked at Disney during Walt's life and after all inspired by Walt's legacy. Um, so being a member, in addition to supporting the museum, you get uh, a discount at the store, you get a discount on additional tickets. Um, each member level has its own amount of special guests that you can bring in as well. Um, you get into the museum galleries yourself and to our special exhibition included in your membership uh, and just uh, so much more that you can find uh, all on our website. I think it's so important that we support our museums and I belong to museums that maybe I attend once a year, but I just want to support them. The Walt Disney Family Museum is like my second home. So I'm there all the time. We want to thank you, Michael. (laughs) You've been such a loyal member to the museum and you and your wife. I always remember seeing you at all of our programs. So, you know, (laughs) you are you not only support us, uh, you know, this way on the podcast, but also in person. And so we, we really appreciate you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And so that's, how, you know, our listeners, this is, you know, there's very few places where you can go and really experience Walt, maybe like at the, you know, the um, his, Walt's barn, you know, down in Griffith Park, or uh, maybe Disneyland, if you get to go into his apartment above the fire station. But at the museum, you you experience Walt from the very beginning of his life to the end of his life. And you hear him tell his story in his own words. So that's why I think everyone listening to the show should go to the museum and become members, support the museum so that, you know, they can continue their mission of telling Walt's story and sharing his legacy. So, yeah. so Chris and Bree, I want to thank you for joining us on connecting with Walt and talking about this wonderful exhibition. Thanks for having us. This was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. This was a wonderful joy to be chatting about Disney cats and dogs. I mean, it's, it's no world Disney and world war two. That's for sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, it's a very different feel from that, which is yeah. also an excellent exhibit that I know is traveling. So yes, it around. is currently at the new Orleans um, world war two museum. And I believe mm-hmm. it'll be traveling again soon. So it, uh, it's definitely making its rounds been very successful. I'm really, we're all, really proud of that exhibition. Oh, it was excellent. And yeah, that's something that originated at the museum. And now, you know, folks can see it in their areas of the country and and get a feel for what, what is at the museum as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I've been there once and I can't wait to go again. And I, I hope to see this exhibit. Your boys will really enjoy it, Luella. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you again. I look forward to seeing you at the museum. 
Okay, well, Luella, you haven't had a chance to go to the exhibition yet, but um, what what did you find most interesting about what Bree and Chris had to share? I love that there is an exhibition that's really focusing on these cats and dogs, which are essential in so many features. And everybody loves them. It's uh, They're universal characters. Uh, it was interesting that it came from Japan. And it, it truly is universal. It can go, people love the cats and dogs and all the different versions of cats and dogs. And when I first heard about the exhibit, I got to thinking that is a wonderful idea for an exhibit, cats and dogs. Because uh, like when we were talking about all our different cats and dogs, you can go down the list. Uh, um, and I'm pretty sure there's people that will love the, the our choices and wonder what about these choices. Um, but I'd love to see that exhibit. I, I will say I was a, a little bit interested when they said um, kind of recreations. Um, but you mentioned how they're done so well. And it's true. If you have the original there, then it's we can't do anything around it because you'd worry so much about the fading and the damaging. So um, I would love to see it myself and see how they do it. Yeah, well, you'll have to come up to San Francisco. Let me know when you're there. Yeah. The thing, the thing I forgot to mention too is, of course, the museum is a bookstore, and you know, all us Disney fans, we love, you know, yes. collectibles. And there's a ton of books there, E-Ticket mm-hmm. Magazine, because they bought E-Ticket Magazine, but they have some of the merchandise from Japan there, and you know, oh, okay. like. You know, Tokyo Disneyland. Oh my gosh, they have the best merchandise. They have the best and adorable merchandise. And whenever you see a uh, someone coming from Japan, wow, do they dress super cute? Sometimes they'll have all these little little plushies around them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they pin to them. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm thinking, where did you get that from? Oh, it's from Japan. Okay. Yeah, I bought um, for myself and for my daughter, I bought three little uh, figurines. They're in a set that is Mm -hmm. of the Aristocats, the three kittens. Because when I was a boy, when I'd go to the park, they used to make those little porcelain figurines of the different characters, and they were really inexpensive. So they were, now they're not, but uh, of different characters in films. I have a whole cabinet of them. And so these three fit right in. Oh, they also have a lady in the tramp set, but I already have lady in the tramp. But uh, so I got that for my daughter too, since she likes cats. And then I actually got a couple of, of large uh, sort of prints that they're, um, they're sort of like they're printed on canvas. So you can just hang them up. And one is the artist's sketch of lady as a puppy coming out of the hat box. Oh, that is adorable. Yeah. And then one is of the Dalmatians sort of sitting around on the chairs and all that. And they're laughing. Mm. (laughs) I thought that was so adorable. I don't even know where in the scene this is from, but it's that they have big smiles and they're laughing. And so I got that as well. I have to find a place to hang them. Yes. And they have shirts and postcards, Mm -hmm. you name it. Um, They've got it. They're pins and stuff. So there's something for everybody. Oh, definitely. I, I need to make it up there. Mm-hmm. Well, let me know and I'll, I'll meet you there. <laughs> but now it's time for This Week in Disney History. Okay. 
Okay, Luella, um, why, since you are the guest co-host, how about if you go first this week? Well, I'm going to choose something that I really love that happened in, on July 31st in 1955. And that's when the Casey Jr. Circus Train, which was based on the train of the same name from the 1941 Dumbo, debuts at Disneyland. And I love Mm -hmm. this ride. I love how it goes around Fantasyland at different levels, how you can see it when you're on Storybook or you can see it when you're on the side, that you can be a wild animal or you can sit in the front or sit in the caboose i think that it is an adorable ride and um that is the day that it debuted Mm -hmm. and and they they wanted it to open with the park but they had a few issues Uh, there was some weight (laughs) there was some weight imbalance issues so Mm -hmm. like when the train tried to go up the hill it, it tipped backwards a little Oh my goodness. And all that. So they had to redo the um, cars because the cars came from carousels. Oh. Because Walt wanted all horses on it. So you know how some carousels have the benches? Yes. And things. So so they used some of those that they removed from the carousels and made it into the train. I can see it now. I can see it now. Yes. And yeah. And what I love too is. With Fantasyland, how because Storybook Land sometimes it goes up the hill. Yes, you see it, and there it's there's there's levels in our Fantasyland where you yes. have to look yes. up. Everything's not just flat, like at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. Yes, and I love it uh, how it just goes in tandem with Storybook. I think that's what makes our uh, the Disneyland Fantasyland so unique uh, that they don't really have at Walt Disney World. Because that's storybook, and then you wave at the people on the Casey Jr., and the Casey Jr. people are waving at the storybook land ride, uh, you know, boats. I uh, it's so encompassing, and it's a must do when I go to Disneyland is to ride that those mm-hmm. rides. I agree. Either that or the storybook land canal boats for me, because I just love yes. those. So I think it would be fun to be the cast member, you know, mm-hmm. narrating. Storybook Land Canal Boats. I think oh, I think I can do it. I've ridden that ride so many times. I, think I, know. I, can do it. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking that too. So I even remember the old spiel, like when you, you know, the Never Never Land, you know. You never, never, never go land. there. You never, never go there. Yeah, yes. and all that. But um, anyway. But yeah, that's a good one. Mine is, well, you know, this sort of touches on a recent event. Um, August 3rd, 1926, singer Tony Bennett is born Anthony Dominic Benedetto in Queens, um, New York. He, of course, you know, we all know he was a legend of jazz and popular music. His career lasted like 80 years, but he has Disney connections. Um, he made a guest appearance in episode 106 of Muppets Tonight. He later appeared in the 2014 film Muppets Most Wanted. And dur- um, during the song, we're doing a sequel. If you remember that. His mm-hmm. most popular song, of course, I know it being from San Francisco, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. That has been featured in so many films, including a couple of Disney films, Disney's Arachnophobia and Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco. Oh. And 
He sold millions of records during his career. He won numerous Grammys, including a Lifetime Achievement Award. He contributed to the 2006 release. It's a CD called Wishes Walt Disney Presents, where they have different artists singing Disney songs. And he sang his version of The Bare Necessities. Oh, wow. On that. So if you don't have that in your collection, it's definitely worth getting. And, and, of course, you know, as we know, he recently passed away at the age of 96 in um, New York City. Oh, so I thought we should, we should mention him in, in, yeah. in our, the show. So, Luella, have you had any recent trips to Disneyland? Is there anything, you know, you wanted to, you know, you thought, oh, that's really interesting or take note well, of it? I attended uh, the Joel McGee uh Disneyland Connect collection Van Eaton Galleries I went to see the items that were up for auction and let me tell you (laughs) I had inquired because this this is one person Joel McGee this is his collection and I had to ask where did he keep all this (laughs) all these items because there were a lot of items up for auction and they told me, I don't know if it's true, but they said in his house, uh, he has a 9,000 square foot house and oh this is only one third of his collection. So there's going to be more auction, but it, this isn't just artwork. There were ride vehicles there. <laughs> so, I was wondering, did you buy the space mountain ride vehicle? Take it home. For I, the boys? <laughs> <laughs> I did want the uh, skyway that skyway Oh, the bucket, sky bucket. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, and, uh, they had a Dumbo there. I think starting bid was about mm. 200,000. So it was a little short there, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the auction already happened, but it was neat. Uh, they had about a week or so that you could look at all the different items. It was in Burbank in one of the Burbank mall areas. Um, and it was fantastic. A lot of memories there. It's so many different things from not just Disneyland, but Walt Disney World. So uh, and you can take pictures. You couldn't sit in the stuff, but you can take pictures near it. Mm-hmm. And lots of Disney fans there dressed up when cosplaying maybe as a haunted mansion or wearing their Disney shirts. So that was uh, something that I did um, not too long ago. It's been really hot. I haven't really felt a desire to go to Disneyland. Just it's been so hot. Um, but I did eat dinner at um, Naples, which is right there on the tip of downtown Disney. And I love that restaurant. It's an Italian restaurant. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I do like that one as well. We used to get, when we stayed to Grand Californian with the family, we would, um, sometimes I would just, everybody was just so tired. I would just get takeout, pizza takeout from, yes. from their little takeout window yes. section and just bring it back to the room. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> But yeah, yeah I, I think um, Michael, you would have loved looking at all that those collection, the collection. I think so. What like if money were no object and you could buy one mm-hmm. thing, what would it have been? I honestly would have wanted that Skyway bucket. I, <laughs> I missed that ride, <laughs> and uh, I would I was pretending like I could put this in my backyard. We can have tea. Oh, well, I uh, always think that too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not practical to have, but it was so neat that to see it, mm-hmm. to see it. Yeah. That is fun. That'd bring back memories. So, yes. Of riding and those things. 
<laughs> and now you just came back. You mentioned it at the beginning of the show. You just came back from San Diego Comic Con. I have never been. So tell me about your experience there. So San Diego Comic Con, it's been going on for decades. It's a if it, it's a bigger, more daunting con than D23. So I think if you have been to D23. It's similar to that, but it's all the different studios. Now, I would remind you, uh, there is a strike going on with the actors, um, SAG and um, the Writers Guild. So the uh, I think one of the stars of going to Comic-Con is attending these really big panels. Well, obviously, with no actors and no writers, uh, a lot of the panels got canceled. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, because I know as as striking, they cannot promote films. Yes, they can. Yes. Yeah, so films. I was curious as to how that affected Comic-Con. It, it affected it in a way where if there's a hall there and I would liken it to, you know, when you go to D23, there's that D23 hall. It's the biggest hall. That's what everyone's mm-hmm. trying to get to. At Comic-Con, it's called Hall H. They have all the big panels there. Last year, they had Marvel there. It was huge. Um, people camp out. They camp out days before to try to get into this panel. Well, um, so you can't just stroll into Hall H. You have to put in your time and invest to, to camp out. Well, Hall H was a walk-on. They canceled majority of the panel. You would have liked one of them. They had a big Star Wars one. Um, oh. Star Trek, I'm sorry. Star Trek one. Star Trek. I would have yeah. loved that. Yes. Yeah, you would have loved that. But at the same time, they don't, they, ha- I attended some Star Wars, um, family guy, but no writers, no actors. So all they did was show a, show a film, um, show a, an, an upcoming episode. So that's where how some things changed. The panels didn't happen. And also because Hall H really wasn't happening, where are you going to funnel all those people? They're mm-hmm. all going to go to the floor. So the floor was a madhouse. It was so. And, and that's where they have vendors. Yes. So that's where all the vendors are. And typically you walk through, that's where the local vendors and even the big, um, like Hulu, they have their boots. It was just a sea of people. Mm -hmm. I I walked in and I'm like, let's get, let's get out. It was too much, but there was still a lot of panels. I mean, it is comic, comic con. So there was a lot of comp. If you love comics, there was so many uh, different comic, comic book writers. Uh, Jim Lee is a big one to try to see Jim Lee. And um, in, but you, you kind of knew what would have been there. They, they, there was heavy promotion of haunted mansion. Let me tell you, mm-hmm. <laughs> they had, um, they have these little bikes. It's almost like uh, some, the man in the front and he's pulling your carriage. They transformed all of those carriages into doom buggies. And oh, with advertisements wow. of Haunted Mansion in the back. And what made it even funner is they were playing the Haunted Mansion music and they even had one ghost there. So if you were mm. riding on that doom buggy, you know, like, can you take me to, you know, this street? There was a ghost riding with you, whether it be the hitchhiking ghost or, <laughs> yeah. And one of the hitchhiking ghosts, the one with the, the prison the prison ball. Oh, the um, ball. Okay. The ball. All of those. It was, it was so yeah. fun. They did not disappoint on the advertisement of the Haunted Mansion. So um, I did attend a D23 Haunted Mansion screening there that was taking place at the same time. So I got to see a, a, um, an early release of the movie, which was a lot of fun. 
And um, they also had an interactive, um, they call them activations when it's, it's, it's where they kind of put you into the, the room or however they want to show you. So they had a Haunted Mansion activation after you watched the movie, which was at one of the bars. And uh, they did a really good job of making the dining room set. You can take pictures there. Um, they had a photo booth where it puts you in the movie poster. So uh, they're really heavily promoting this movie without the writers and the actors. And I think they did a good job. And I, you know, without giving any spoilers, I, I enjoyed the movie. I, I'd encourage <laughs> anyone who loves Haunted Mansion or, you know, even if you don't, if, if you want a good story, I think they did a good job to encompass everyone on this Haunted Mansion movie. You don't have to necessarily have ridden the ride. It helps. I think you'll love the, the, um, it helps in that you will enjoy the Easter eggs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's definitely its own story. I've heard some early reviews of it, and they've been positive. Uh, people who liked it, they said, if you want to introduce your children to, like, scary films, this is a good introduction. Um, I would agree. Because it's not, it's not too scary and yes. all that, but it's enough to give them a couple of jumps, you know, kind I of would, thing. I would agree. And I I think they really did a nice job of encompassing um, putting those Easter eggs of the rides. Uh, it reminded me of when I first watched Pirates, the Johnny Depp, uh, the mm -hmm. very first one. It has its own story, but you're like, hey, that's from the ride. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what's fun. That makes it fun for Disney fans. So yes. is to see that I, ha I already have my tickets to the film. Oh. So we'll probably talk about it next week. Oh, wonderful. Um, so, yes. Um, yes. Anyway, but. Yeah, but I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. So compared to the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion film, the infamous one, I think it's like 20 <laughs> years old now. Yeah. How does it compare to that? Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of like Mary Jo. I'm a I'm an easy pleaser. I, I like that version too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is, I think people will really like this one. Oh, good, good. Really so were there, were there any other um, highlights of Comic-Con, any other panels you attended or anything that your children really enjoyed? Well, my youngest, I have a 12-year-old. He's really into board games and video games. Um, same with my eldest. So they attended panels uh, featuring that, like, for example, mm -hmm. like Mortal Kombat. And, um, but they have um, places where you can play board games and you can my son loved to do that. He could play board games all day um, and learn how to play different board games. There's just so much to do. There's, there's really a lot to do. And I think despite not having actors and writers, and so the panels not being what you were expecting, I, I enjoyed it. No, but it, it will, if you don't like crowds and lines, if you thought, if you think D23 is a lot, then this is not the place. This is okay. So I'm thinking it's not the place for me. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I can barely <laughs> cope with D23 Expo. Oh gosh, it's it's much more than I thought. D23 is a lot. I went last year and I was overwhelmed, like really overwhelmed. The floor is, I would say, three times the size because it's just a sea of sea of vendors. And you know, Disney D23 is great, but it's just. It's just, it's just Disney. This is everything. This is Paramount, Hulu, HBO, uh, all the stuff. Now, a lot of them backed out because of the strike, but in a typical year, all the big studios are there. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. Now at D23 Expo, you hear every time 
this is so disorganized. They <laughs> should get the people who do San Diego Comic Con to run this. Is that true? Is is D23 any less organized or more disorganized than uh, Comic-Con? I, I don't think so. I think that, uh, and I, I, I know why they're doing this. They have these, and I, I know it didn't work out for you. Remember these pre, you sign up for these lotteries, mm-hmm. try to get you into certain things. So they do that too. And I didn't get into anything at Comic-Con but I know people who got into things and they still, when it was their time, one of them, they were, you were trying to get a lottery for this um, game card and let's say you won it. Well, they showed up at their time and it was gone. So they were complaining like, why did we even go through a lottery? If you can't even have enough people to understand that okay, you know you had a hundred, you should have a hundred. So mm-hmm. I found there's some disorganization. Now, granted, it's all um, volunteers that do it. So for what it is, I think that it, and it's you know twice, if not three times bigger than D twenty thing, D twenty three. I think they do a pretty good job. But I think when you have that many people, not everybody can do everything truly. Yeah, and, that's true. Um, that's why you keep going back. Yes. And then at, at uh, D23, I know everyone's saying like, well, this is supposed to be Disney. Well, I don't think so. Actually, it's Anaheim Convention Center. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so um, that's the difference between a con and actually going to an amusement park. Yeah. But you, like I said, you know that going in. I know that going in. Um, you know that you're going to be in line. I, I even have my chair. That's the one thing I didn't like at, D, at D23. They, they didn't allow the chairs. Well, they did first day and then they said no. And thank goodness you lent me that stick chair because I I told them, well, this is also my cane. And they said, okay. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, to be in line for hours and to sit on the ground can be hard. So here they allow the chairs. Um, And I think people are respectful for, you know, not, I don't know the reasoning why they didn't allow it. Maybe it takes too much room or it can be used as a weapon, but. But, um, you know, for some people, you, you have to, you have to kind of rest your legs. <laughs> oh, I do. I can't stand yeah. that long anymore. Yeah. So, and sitting like that is also uncomfortable for me now as I get old. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. But yeah, but I love the cosplay. I think there's definitely, um, they do that at Disney, but in Comic-Con there's other things, other kinds of cosplay, not just Disney. So some people, wow, they are very talented. Um, they really go all out. And there was a lot of Haunted Mansion ones. I was really, I really loved seeing the, the Hitchhiking Ghost. There's like the Madame Leota. Someone walked around with the table. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I've seen that person before. Yes. I think and she's then, been at D23. So. Probably. Yeah. And then. Or somebody did the same thing. One or the yeah. other. Yeah. So, and so I great. think that's what I, you know, you can sit and just watch the cosplayers. That's always a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, if you're up to it, um, I, you know, Comic-Con, I think San Diego Comic-Con is the granddaddy of them all. Um, it's, it, it's, if you want to experience it once, you just have to try to get the tickets. Uh, but, um, if you want a more little, maybe just a little bit smaller, uh, D, I, I always, uh, love D23. Mm-hmm. Me so, too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And Destination D, I like even more. Oh, are you going to Destination D? I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fun. 
Wonderful. Yeah, one I'm, of these I'm days, excited. I hope to go to that. One of these days. You'll like it. You'll like yeah. it. It's so much more civilized. <laughs> I, I hear. I hear. I hear it's more civilized. If it didn't fall with my kids' school, you know, it's in November. That's a little yeah. challenging. So. All right. Well, thank you, Luella, for joining us um, this oh, week. Thank you for having me. I yeah. I always uh, love to be a part of the discussion and uh, learning a little bit more about the Disney cats and dogs at the Walt Disney Family Museum. That was nice. That was. That was great. Yeah, I enjoyed that. And it's a great exhibition. I think folks will really enjoy it. So, Luella, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Well, I am on um, Twitter at Luella32. You can find me on Facebook. It's my name, Luella Loriola. And um, you can see some of my Comic-Con antics there. And mm-hmm. then I'm also at Disney, uh, Instagram at Luella Michelle. So. Okay, great. Thank you. And you can send me messages at michaelbowling at disneyinfo.com. Twitter, or is it called X? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know what it's called. I don't at at mbowling121, Facebook, michaelbowling connecting with Walt, and Instagram, michaelbowlingthediz. And you can connect with me and Craig and all of our guest hosts on Twitter at connectingwalt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyUnplugged.com. You'll even hear Luella on some of those. And look for past episodes of Connecting Us Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother, Roy. Roy.